Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canada's Great War. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate, or you can go to buymeacupofcoffee slash CraigU. All of these links are also in my show notes. And for people who donate, I have various levels of benefits. For $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and from John to Justin, and on social media. For $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by, with your name at the start. Also, I'll state it's sponsored by you on social media. For $20, everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you, and promotion of something you're working on. And for $50, everything from the $5, $10, and $20 plus, you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to my username, Bairdo37. And you can find weekly videos on Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. If you want to find transcripts of every episode I've ever done, you can go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. And there's over 700 posts on Canada's history there. Before I start, I, I have a little bit of trouble pronouncing Ankra. Uh, just for some reason, I've tried to get it right so I do apologize that I do mispronounce the Ankara Heights just slightly. Uh, I just, I have some trouble with some French words and for some reason this is one of them. So I hope you don't hold it against me. When the Battle of Ankara Heights began at the beginning of October, lasting for over a month, it fell to the Canadians to capture the Regina Trench. This trench was an incredibly important part of the strategic plan as it was planned to be the jumping off point for further attacks. The battle itself was part of the wider First Battle of the Somme. The Regina Trench was a difficult place for the artillery of the Allies to target as it sat on the highest point of a ridge and the Germans were well defended within the trench. On October 1st at 3.15pm in the rain, the Canadian Corps attacked the Regina Trench, specifically the 2nd Canadian Division under Major General R.E.W. Turner and the 8th Brigade under Brigadier General J.H. Elmsley. The 18th Battalion Diary states, quote, Zero hour was 3.15 in the afternoon on October 1st, and as the Canadians waited in drizzling rain in their advancing positions, many were hit by our own shells falling short all along the line, end quote. Things got off to a bad start when the Allied shells, as it said, fell short of the line, doing little damage. The 8th Brigade attacked with the 4th and 5th Canadian Mounted Rifles, all of whom were met with heavy gunfire from the Germans. As the Canadians approached the Germans, they found that the artillery had not cut the wire, and one company was nearly eliminated trying to get through. Another company was also impeded by the wires, and only 15 men would survive. One company was able to reach the Regina Trench, but they were quickly overwhelmed. The 18th Battalion relates, quote, 
One company was practically wiped out in no man's land. Part of another reached its objective, but was there overpowered and perished to the last man. End quote. The left forward company of the 5th Canadian Mounted Rifles was able to reach their objective, but they were driven away by constant German counterattacks. The Van Dues had a half mile advance to make, which they did with three waves of 80 men separated by five yard intervals. By the time they reached a quarter mile, the men were being hit with shells and machine gun fire, and they soon found that the German wire was still not cut. Less than 50 men would reach their objective, and those survivors had to contend with close-quarter fights with bayonets and grenades. The 25th Battalion had 200 officers and men who advanced towards the objective, but only 30 made it past the enemy fire to reach the German wire. These men hid in shell holes and ditches before waiting for night so they could return to the front lines. The 4th Brigade advanced 400 yards and were hit by machine gun fire, and as for the 6th Brigade, they had entered the line with 1,717 officers and men. When they were relieved on October 2nd by the 5th Brigade, they had only 773. One of the first individuals killed was the son of Cannon Scott, who was killed while leading an attack on Regina Trench. Due to the mud and the men behind him, when he fell, his body was buried in the mud of the Somme. His father would come to the area in December hoping to find his son's body. The Windsor Star reported, quote, Cannon Scott's duties took him into this front line, and night after night, assisted by his faithful Batman, he refused the help of officers who were overwhelmed with their own work under shellfire and dug among the hasty-made graves searching for his son's remains, End quote. He would find the body of his son, and he would carry the body behind the lines where he buried him and erected a cross while giving a prayer for his son. The Star reported, quote, Brave father and a brave son were united again for a brief moment. End quote. The Canadian Corps was ordered to continue the fight, but they would be delayed for a week due to bad weather. The War Office would announce on October 4th, quote, During the night, there was considerable shelling of the enemy, south of Ankara. Otherwise, there was no change. A heavy rain has fallen since morning. End quote. On October 5th, the 15th Battalion was ordered back to the front after a week's rest following the Battle of Thiepval Ridge. At midnight, the unit relieved the 58th Battalion of the Canadian Expeditionary Force and support positions at the ruins of the sugar refinery near Corselet. Two companies in the battalion would move forward to the front line to take part in the second attack. On October 7th, an official statement would be released stating, quote, We hold the half-moon upland south of the Ankara and every height of importance, and so have direct observation ground to the east and northeast. The enemy has fallen back upon a fourth line behind a low ridge. End quote. On October 8th at 4.50 a.m., again in the rain, the 5th Brigade was joined by the 3rd, 9th, and 7th Brigades of the 3rd Canadian Division, each with two battalions. The 4th Battalion was joined by the 3rd Battalion, and the 3rd Battalion was able to reach its objective, but the 4th Battalion was held up by wire. The Canadian Scottish Brigade would be met by machine gun fire at the wires and only 100 of the men were able to reach Regina Trench. One reason the men were able to venture on was because of James Richardson. Richardson was the piper for the battalion and initially he was going to be left behind because his commander did not think a piper was needed for a night assault. Richardson begged to accompany the troops and he was allowed. As the battalion reached the wire that was not cut, the Germans started to attack. 
Richardson began to play his bagpipes, marching in front of the men as machine gun fire was directed at him. Amazingly, he was not hit, and he galvanized the men with him who ran forward. Later that day, when he realized he had left his bagpipes in no man's land after setting them down to help evacuate the wounded, he went back to retrieve them. He was never seen again. He would be awarded the Victoria Cross for his actions. But that's not the end of the story. It was believed that his bagpipes were lost forever, but in 2002, nine decades after the battle, his bagpipes were found. It was believed they were lost in the mud of the Somme, but they actually turned up in a prep school in Perthshire, Scotland. Major Edward Yeld Bate had found the bagpipes in 1917 and brought them home after the war. He was a teacher at the school and he put them on display. The bagpipes were unidentified for decades, and it was thanks to the Pipe Major of the Canadian Scottish Regiment, Roger McGuire, who responded to an internet posting and identified the bagpipes based on the tartan. With help from the Canadian club, he went to Scotland and identified the bagpipes in person. An anonymous donor then bought the bagpipes on behalf of the citizens of Canada. On November 8, 2006, the bagpipes were repatriated to Canada and placed in the British Columbia Legislature, where they are currently on display. As for Richardson's Victoria Cross, that's on display at the Canadian War Museum. Well, it's the stuff movies are made of. A valiant soldier killed in war. An intensely personal token left behind on the battlefield. And nearly a century later, the truth discovered and a homecoming celebrated. Chris Brown now with that true story. In a ceremony full of music and emotion, the bravery of a young man who died 90 years ago was remembered. Heroism that won the day in what was probably the bloodiest battle of all time. James Richardson of Chilliwack, B.C. was a 20-year-old bagpiper with Canada's Scottish Regiment. It was the First World War during the Battle of the Somme when he used his pipes to rally the troops during the heat of battle. Piper Richardson strode up and down outside the wire, playing his pipes with the greatest coolness. The effect was instantaneous. Inspired by his splendid example, the company rushed the wire with such fury and determination that the obstacle was overcome and the position captured. Richardson won the Commonwealth's highest military honor, the Victoria Cross, for his gallantry. Later that same day, he put down his pipes to rescue a wounded colleague, and as he went back to find them, he was killed. Still covered in mud and with a bullet hole hinting at the violence of the battlefield, the story of how the bagpipes came to B.C. is almost as remarkable as the man who once played them. The bagpipes were found on the muddy World War I battlefield by a military chaplain who brought them back home to Scotland and put them on display at a local schoolhouse. They stayed there for 75 years until a curious parent wondered about the origins of the tartan on the bagpipes and turned to the internet for answers. Roger McGuire answered an email posting about the instrument and after some investigation decided the pipes likely belonged to Richardson. I actually first saw these pipes in Scotland in 2003 and, uh, and my, my reaction then was, uh, uh, was a total awe. Under what conditions were these pipes last played? And, and then when you realize that you, you, and you start to imagine what that was like on October 9th, 1916, a flood of emotion comes over you. 
the bagpipes may eventually end up at the museum in Chilliwack, Richardson's hometown, where his valor is already commemorated with a statue of the 20-year-old hero holding the pipes he died trying to recover. Chris Brown, CBC News, Victoria. In the battle, the 9th Brigade would attack with the 43rd and 58th Battalions, and they found the wire intact, but small groups were able to make their way to the Regina Trench, where they were once again overwhelmed by the Germans. In the brigade, 34 officers and 907 other ranks would die. The 7th Brigade had better luck finding the wire cut and allowing two companies into the Regina Trench east of the junction with the Kenora Trench. They were able to take several prisoners, but attempts to move west down the Regina Trench were met with Germans who attacked them with grenades and machine guns. Despite the progress of the day in some areas, the Canadians were forced to retreat from various parts of the trench due to overwhelming German counterattacks. By the time the sun went down, all of the survivors of the 1st and 3rd Divisions had returned to their original starting positions, having suffered 1,364 casualties during the day double what they suffered on October 1st. On October 17th, the Canadian Corps left the Somme, but the 4th Division, new to the trenches, would join the British formations and continue to fight for Regina Trench. On October 21st, the battle once again resumed. This time, the artillery was able to destroy portions of the Regina Trench and the German wire. This allowed the assaulting force to take some areas of the trench. The battle is described as such, with some exaggeration, quote, The usual billowy cloud of shell smoke, vaporously extensive in the cold air, churned and whipped the length of the Regina Trench with the customary accuracy of these swaths of death and tempest, and then the infantry was in full possession of the trench, end quote. The article continues, quote, The gunners are smiling at the stars tonight, which promise another fair day tomorrow, the cold weather has transformed the army into a winter chrysalis. The battalions are marching up the trenches, all wearing their overcoats. The call is for more chocolate and more slices of bacon, frizzling in pans of the dugouts. End quote. The Montreal Gazette reported, quote, All this month, Regina Trench has been developing a sinister reputation. It joins the old first-line fortifications in the neighborhood of Thiepval, and anything in that region with its comfortable dugouts that Germans like to retain in order to prevent the active battle front from broadening, end quote. One British soldier would say, quote, With winter coming on, we feel the need of those deep snug dugouts the Germans spent so much time building, end quote. For the next two weeks, the weather was terrible, preventing any further attempts to remove the remaining enemy positions and secure the entire trench. Finally, at midnight on November 10th, the final assault began. The artillery barrage was described as perfect. When the remaining enemy positions were secured, and the month-long battle of Anchor Heights, at least for the Canadians, came to an end. The Winnipeg Free Press Prairie Farmer reported, quote, Canadian dash and daring did the rest, and once they gained the trench, there was a rush of Germans to surrender. Seventeen officers were taken in one batch, an unusual large number to yield together, end quote. Two unarmed stretcher-bearers would also capture 40 Germans themselves. They were looking for wounded, and suddenly the Germans came out of a dugout with their hands above their head. The incident was quoted in the newspapers as such, quote, With a fine spirit of bravado, however, one pointed to the dugout door, and in tones more 
stentorial than polite, shouted, Get back in there. Meekly they obeyed, and while one of the stretcher men kept guard, the other went for help, and a haul of two score prisoners resulted. End quote. In the battle from September 27th to October 14th, the 3rd Canadian Division suffered 2,969 casualties, while the 18th Division suffered 3,344 casualties from September 26th to October 5th. The Montreal Gazette reported, quote, Apparently the Germans were taken by surprise and they offered no serious resistance. The attack was carried out on a line extending five miles on both sides of the Ancre against positions which the Germans had held for two years and which they considered impregnable. End quote. One man killed in the battle was James Franklin. He was one of the first black Canadians to enlist in the Canadian Expeditionary Force. He was only a teenager, and he would become the first black Canadian and black North American to be killed in the First World War. And by the time the Canadians were relieved from the Battle of the Somme, casualties were listed at 24,029 people, about 24% of the entire force. After the battle, reports stated that command of the Canadian Corps was impossible once the attack began. There were recommendations of allowing attacking troops 24 hours to study the ground before attacking, followed by 24 hours in reserve to receive a detailed briefing. It was also suggested that first waves would not carry tools, but instead would have a light load of 120 rounds of ammunition, two hand grenades, two days rations, and a ground sheet. Carrying hand grenades was especially recommended in order to destroy that uncut wire. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at the Battle of Ankara Heights. Next week we have our season finale and I'm doing a different kind of episode. I'm going to be reading letters home from soldiers through the war to this point. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Wendy Mills, Keelan Pregnitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartheau, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from the Government of Canada, 15th Battalion, CEF, Canadian Soldiers, 18th Battalion, CEF, Library and Archives Canada, National Defence, Canadian Encyclopedia, Wikipedia, Cumberland Islander, Edmonton Journal, Montreal Gazette, and the Ottawa Citizen. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.